Welcome to episode 70, 70. of the Design, Design Details, Details Podcast. Podcast. I'm, I'm Brian Brian Levin. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Today we're sitting down with Ash Wong. It was wonderful to get to talk to her. Before we get into the episode, we just want to thank our sponsors for this episode. Surprise, surprise, Dropbox. Dropbox is a fantastic service that Brian and I both use at Sidewire, at Facebook. We use it for spec. We use it for our personal lives. We use it for communicating with people across the world seamlessly. Dropbox has been on a mission lately to help people work better together, especially designers. They've been building in more and more file type previews. They've been building in more and more tools like they have a way for you to work together, kind of Google Docs-ish in Microsoft Office, which if you've seen Microsoft Office, that is a huge program. The fact that they got it to work that cleanly is just remarkable. They're working really hard to help make collaboration easier. Tools like Mailbox, Dropbox Notes, Hackpad, Pixel Labs, all these tools built around collaboration. And they're all about supporting the community through shows like this, through events. We can't thank them enough for being interested in helping create more things for our community. Go check them out at dropbox.com. And thank you once again to Dropbox for sponsoring the show. Our second sponsor, back again, Icon Finder, the best place to find icons for whatever design project you are working on. They have over 640,000 icons in the library now. That's over 10,000 more since our last episode. So they are growing insanely fast. They're on track for a million by next year. There's over 11,700 icon sets so that you can have a design that is consistent with gorgeous icons in all different styles. They're really working on their website to make it easy to dig in and find the exact icons that you need. So you can search by glyphs, outline, flat icons, photorealistic icons, you can get hand-drawn, you can even get pixel icons uh, in all different categories. Go on iconfinder.com, scroll around, you can dig into different sets and collections, look at the individual artists. It's becoming a really powerful tool. If you make icons, you can also upload those. Some designers on iconfinder are making four to $5,000 every single month. So if you make icons, be sure to upload them. If you're just looking for icons for your design project, go to iconfinder.com and sign up for iconfinder pro. It's a monthly subscription service. It starts at just $9 a month, gets you access to 25 downloads every single month. And those icons are licensed for a commercial project. So it's perfect for freelancers or any client work you might be doing. And one of our favorite things is that 70% of that monthly fee goes straight back out to the original designers of those icons. So when you sign up, not only are you getting the exact thing you need for your project, but you're directly supporting the design community and making it possible for designers to support themselves by creating these amazing icons. We really appreciate IconFinder supporting the show. We hope you'll go to IconFinder.com, sign up for IconFinder Pro, and if you use the promo code DESIGNDETAILS, that'll tell them that we sent you and get you 50% off your first month of IconFinder Pro. Thanks so much once again to IconFinder for making the show possible. And with that, let's get into episode 70 with Ash Huang. Hi, I'm Ash at Ash Smash on Twitter. I'm an independent designer, writer, and illustrator here in San Francisco. Um, I don't know what else is left. And the last 24 hours have been good because... Oh, yeah, the last 24 hours have been great because I had just released my book. And I've been shipping it out and getting pictures of people who have been receiving in the mail, which has been really fun. So tell us the story of the book, The Fire Steel. So the book started when I was 14 and I was super into fantasy. So originally it was a story about like, you know, like magic missiles and direwolves <laughs> and stuff. Nice. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Blizzard fan? Um, I th- 
casually, yes. <laughs> okay. Casually. I had I had my LAN parties back in the day. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, so it started off kind of me just trying to like make a fantasy book and draw some sweet Wacom tablet horrible paintings that are still they still exist in the Wayback Machine. And the Wayback Machine. Do you yeah. know the Wayback Machine? It sounds familiar. What is it? It's it looks backward through the internet. Like caches stuff. Is it not like archive.org or whatever? Kind of similar, right? I think so. I okay. Think they might actually be related. Okay. But I could be mistaken. Anyways. But yeah, there's some fun stuff on there um, back in the day. And so start off being that and then kind of like morphed into a graphic novel because I was like, I want to do graphic novels. And then, um, then it kind of like morphed back into a book. And then I kind of put it down while I was in college and uh, was learning about design and doing that full time. And then... When I was around like 24-ish, I kind of picked it back up and started working on it again. And I wrote this like crazy first draft that was all about like time travel. And like you get the main character and he'd like influence his old self. But like his old self wasn't always happening. It was just like really confusing and discombobulated. And I had a couple people actually read this first draft. And it was like after I gave it to them, I was like, what is this? (laughs) It's so bad. But... I had this kind of like lightning moment where I could extract this kind of truth, which was the interesting thing about the story was it was originally about a woman who could see through time. So she kind of like predict the future and a man who could travel through time. But like they both had like half of the information in some way where the woman was always kind of like she wouldn't share with him what was going on and he could take all this action, but he would never be like fully informed to like her intentions or what she knew. And so I kind of took that as like the base and then went from there and kind of created the story around it. So then the book it is now is based around that idea where he's kind of coping with their relationship and this feeling that she doesn't share everything with him and kind of like makes these decisions on her own and can like quote, quote, see the future. And then so the book opens where he's telling his niece the story about this relationship and it starts off in like ancient Greece, then in Camelot and then like moves up through time as he deals more and more with the situation. Can I ask how you came to pick the story back up? Because I find one of the hardest things is like to to rejoin an old project. Yeah, I think the major impetus, it would always be kind of like in the back of my head because I really liked the characters, even though they were like changing all the time. And I think what it was, was I just read this like amazing book and I'd forever been telling people, people are always like, oh, like I want to be a designer. I'm like, just put in your 10,000 hours. And they're like, shh, <laughs> like stop. And I was like, no, anyone can do it. You just have to learn the rules and practice really hard. And then I found myself reading a book and I was like, oh, maybe I should write a book. It's like, and I was like, no, I'm not a writer. I'm a designer. And then I was like, ah, gotcha. I was mm. like, challenge accepted. So mm-hmm. it kind of reincarnated that way. But also I think this like relationship between two people where there is this idea of like someone has the information and someone doesn't whether it's true or not that feeling I have just I felt like I saw it a lot in my relationships and saw it a lot in other people's relationships that it felt like something that was like sticky sticky what what do you mean by sticky I don't know it just kept coming up I'm kind of like that's a big driver for me too yeah when, when things keep popping back up yeah there's like some serendipity and as much as like the woo woo, like the universe is going to give you stuff and like mm-hmm. all of that, I think there is some interesting idea of like if you keep seeing the same pattern over and over again, there's something there probably to explore. I think it's interesting that you said, I'm not a writer, I'm a designer, and then took that as a challenge because one of the things I hear very frequently from developers is, I don't know, I'm not a designer. Yeah. How did you decide to make that a challenge for yourself? 
I mean, some of it is really, it feels like magic, but a lot of it is just like practice. It's actually really like athletic in some way. And so if muscle you, memory, exactly. And so if you really believe that it is just magic and not everyone can do it, like some of the magic is ironically kind of lost, I think mm-hmm. where it's, it is this like learnable thing that you can always get better at and, um, that your life influences. And so I don't know, it, it was kind of like a challenge to myself where it's like, if you really believe this to be true for other people and for you, like if it's true, like the world is really awesome because you can like always learn what you need to know. I think Steve Jobs had some quote about this. I'm going to like totally misrepresent him, but he said like, you know, there's this moment when you realize that everyone's kind of like a normal person and that like everything is kind of achievable. Mm -hmm. It kind of changes how you can look at the world, which I really like. Now that the book is out, what's the next challenge? So I realized once the Kickstarter was done, I was like, yes, like it's over. And then I was like, oh, this is just the beginning. Cause there's like all this marketing I have to do. I want to see it in bookstores. So I have to like go on foot and like harass people. Put this on your yeah, shelf. Yeah, I'm like, hi. <laughs> and then there's like, oh God, another one. Cause I'm sure people come all the time. But um, so there's all those challenges and get just getting the, book to the people who I think would enjoy it is going to be an interesting puzzle. Can we talk about the Kickstarter for a bit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am so intrigued by what makes Kickstarters successful. So maybe you can share a little bit about like how you approached it and in terms of telling the story and getting people interested in what you had to say. Yeah, the Kickstarter was really involved. I, I, I had been doing a lot of like research and reading about Kickstarters and everything everyone will tell you they're like, oh, it's like a ton and ton of work it'll basically be your full-time job while it's running and like there's just so much work um and so I picked up a lot online thank god for the internet (laughs) thank god Um, for the internet Hmm. (laughs) but yeah there's like some tips that were like oh don't offer too many rewards there's this great post about um I don't remember who it was but he was doing a poster and it was like one of those tight posters and like he spent like every dime even though he raises like exorbitant amount of money just because the rewards, like he did like t-shirts and all these other things. So they were like, just do like very basic rewards. What were your rewards? Uh, so my rewards were an ebook, the book itself, signed book, a notated book, a front row seat to an event that's this Saturday, and like a private reading. A private reading? Yes. How much do you have to pay to get that? Uh, you had to pay 1400 and only one person bought that. Was there anything unexpected that happened? in terms of like as the kickstarter got going things you didn't expect i think what's been unexpected is kind of afterwards and i kind of suspected that people are really erratic with their internet usage but kind of after the campaign ended like as soon as it ended i got all these notes that were like wait you were running a campaign i was like yeah for 30 days they were like what and it's just like and even now like i get emails that are like oh, I just realized I can download the book. It was like years ago, (laughs) not years, but like a couple months. Um, But just because like Unroll Me, like hid all the notifications. And so it was just like, I realized it's like really hard to get in touch with people in a mass like public way. And actually one of the tips that they had on Kickstarter, like blogs and stuff, they were like, you need to like individually email people and like really get out on the trail, which was like, (laughs) Did you do really that? Interesting. I did a little bit, uh, mostly to people who had previously like read the book or like expressed interest in it. I didn't go too far deep in that, kind of as an experiment, just to see how it would go if I didn't do anything. 
And so this whole thing was like kind of an experiment because I'd never run a Kickstarter this magnitude before. I done like a smaller one for this cookbook that I did with a couple of people, but um, never to this magnitude where I was just like doing everything by myself. So it's kind of an experiment. How much time did you spend on the the design of the book itself? Because you are a designer. I imagine that was... Like the a, visual appearance? A big chunk. Yeah, the visual, the the way you set the type on the cover, even the colors, the dimensions You of mentioned the book. typesetting in the video too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like talk a little bit about that process of designing your own book. It's funny because I do think that everyone's always like, oh, it's like hardest to design for yourself. I think that's definitely true. It was a little easier in this case because it was like a story, but... It's funny because I started designing the covers like years ago and I was like, oh, I'm just gonna make like 25 covers. You know, like it's nothing. Just like throw them out there. Was it always called The Fire Steel? It was not. There were many names. When it was a very young book, it was named Antiquity Falls because it was a fantasy book. And then it became Redsport. Was Antiquity Falls a location? Nope. It, it just meant okay. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to ask. A fantasy book. Got it. Yeah, I, I actually have no idea. I still own the domain, though. I didn't like redirects, but yeah, that was a very Just long in case. Ago. Just in <laughs> case that one person who knew me and I was 14 and wearing chains on my pants. <laughs> Somewhere to go. Wow, you chained. Um, okay, where did you grow up? I grew up in Connecticut. Okay. Yes. That is like the least chains on pants place I would have. <laughs> oh, I know. I think that's why the chains on pants appeared. <laughs> you is that where this? you have to go for your private reading? Um sort of i guess so yeah i guess that's what's gonna happen <laughs> were you a rebel growing up i kind of thought i was and i think for where i was living i i looked like a rebel i like dyed my hair pink and things like that but i mean when i think about it um it was kind of like a safe rebellion i was always like a safe rebel where like I never did anything dangerous. I think like the most illegal thing I've ever done is like graffiti a basement somewhere in like an abandoned <laughs> building. <laughs> Otherwise I was just like, oh no, get a teacher, <laughs> like help, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. Um, I mean, that's the nice thing about, I think being in a relatively like privileged environment and being like young and you can kind of just like do these things and like never, it's just like, oh, like <laughs> there goes those kids. You can be a rebel without having to be a bad kid you yeah. be a rebel without a cause so back to the book you were saying that some people think it's hardest to design for yourself oh yes and so it's funny because as i was designing the covers since i was doing it while i was writing the book which is really weird that's like a weird experience i think when you're like designing the cover for this book and it's still like changing so the first covers were like kind of insane there's one that's like faux neon light it looks like Miami Vice a little bit and then like some like kind of like unresolved geometric ones and some more abstract ones but as I actually started getting the book tighter the cover started getting really tight and so they started being like really interesting if not always correct they would have like better typography and like all these things um so describe the cover you landed on and why that is perfect for the book so I definitely wanted to get across this idea of like dreaminess and nostalgia, but also this kind of like um, inner turmoil or conflict. And so that's kind of where there's like this blue and red gradient on the cover. And that kind of comes from this like, you know, like warmth and cool where you're kind of like some things you forget that are like farther back in your memory. And then some things are more immediate. So that's kind of like the hotness of the red. And then I tried a bunch of photos and some of them were like 
less successful or more successful. There's one that like was like, oh, this is like the cover to The Great Gatsby. And it's like, oh, no. And so this just ended up being the photo that ended up fitting. I took this photo like a, three or four years ago, I think, when my fiance and I were camping. And it was on this, like my camera has all these light leaks and the film was kind of expired. So you get these like weird streaks and um, only like a sliver. But there's just this like person standing on the beach. And that's kind of like a motif in the book. And so I was going through my photo archives just to put in like placeholder photos. And I found this photo. And it was kind of like serendipitous where I was like, oh, like this is this is the photo. And what about the the text? The text I actually comes from a much earlier uh, revision of the cover where I, since it's called like the fire steel and a fire steel is like what you like strike against flint to get fire going. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, like maybe I should do a direction that's inspired off of a campfire. And so uh, to create these like illusion of shadows, I kind of like cut them out and then kind of that negative space became the shadow. Mm-hmm. And then I really liked that. And that cover itself, the first one I did was like, it was like, okay, it wasn't quite right. It didn't communicate everything yet. And so I actually kind of like abandoned that idea for a while. And it was just kind of like sitting in the back of my head. And then kind of as I did this one, it came back up. You also did a cookbook, but is this the first like physical thing you've done since then or the only physical thing you've done? Uh, It's the first book I've published since then, for sure. What other physical things have you made? Other physical. That t-shirt. Yeah, I made a t-shirt. It's a tank top. It's it has bad bitch on it and some (laughs) illustration. I uh, successfully wore it in Seattle recently. This guy successfully wore it. Oh yeah, he literally stopped me and was like, "Do you realize what your shirt says?" I don't know if he thought I was like a tourist or something, but I was like, I was like, "Oh yeah, I know." And then he was like, I can't believe you would wear that. And then I was like, yes, like rebellion. <laughs> this is what I wanted. <laughs> and then I saw this like really, really old woman who was like hunched over with these like giant sunglasses on and a walker. And she just saw my shirt and just started like laughing. And I was like, success. I was she like, gets it. seen both sides. <laughs> <laughs> um, any advice to people that want to make things like this? And just don't know how to even get started. Even like the fact that you're selling it, right? You're you're making money on it. Like that must have been a huge decision tree to go down. Do you have any advice for people? Yeah, I think one of the big things is it's funny because a lot of people are like, "Oh, is there like money in books?" And I was like, "I I don't know. I couldn't tell you." <laughs> um, I think it's really hard to build a physical object and then be okay with the idea that like no one might buy it and you'll just have like a hundred books sitting in your house because you have to kind of get over that fear to get the hundred books in your house. And I have to tell you like my house smells amazing right now. It just smells like ink. I'm probably losing like so many brain cells, but like a library. Oh yeah. With leather bound books. Yeah. And just seeing like the thing. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's your place right now. Yeah. And so I think you have to kind of like start small. So the t-shirt was like pretty easy because I just did it on Teespring. And that meant that I didn't have to do any of the printing. I didn't have to do any of the shipping. I just had to make an illustration, choose a shirt and put it on. And I think that was like a great kind of like getting my feet back into making physical stuff because there was very little work that I personally had to do besides design. And then you get that first object and you're like, oh, this is, this is cool. I or can you make see, real things. Yeah. Or I saw this woman wearing one recently and I didn't know if 
she had known about me before this was at a conference I was speaking at and I was just like wait come back I have to talk to you and I never saw her again but it was like just like a person wearing my shirt so I think there is this like satisfaction but you have to start really small I think if I had been like you know 22 and I was like I'm gonna publish and like print like 500 books it would have been a very different challenge I think do you have any ideas what you're gonna make next um, I'm thinking of actually putting a bunch of my essays into a book and I don't know whether I'm going to do that as a physical book or not. And I'm writing some like shorter stories just to like kind of cleanse my palate. Are these essays published anywhere else? Yeah. A lot of them are in medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them I wrote on my cross country road trip and haven't seen the light of day yet. I want to talk about your medium essays, but last question is, do you have any like practical actual details about what it takes to get a book printed like how do you get this made are there services that do this yeah I actually went pretty old school and I got an offset printer I used a company called Thompson Shore Uh, I was kind of looking through a site and Dave Eggers prints with them a lot I was like it was good enough for Dave Eggers (laughs) so um the circle oh yeah he wrote the circle he also wrote uh heartbreak heartbreaking work of staggering genius He's I awesome. I haven't read you either of those. Okay, I'll check yeah, them out. One of my favorite Jessica books. Jessica Hish did some illustrations yeah. for his books. Okay, yeah. we'll put links to those in the show notes. Yeah, he's awesome though. Really funny. Um, but yeah, I just wanted, I, I kind of looked at a bunch of services, which were great. I used like Create Space, like Lightning Source, all those things um, for drafts. Okay. So when I was like, I felt like I had like a good enough draft, I would print it as like a book, as like a really cheap plasticky looking book. And just read through it. And then I'd be like, oh, this feels more like a book. So I can kind of like judge it more like I would judge someone else's book. book. Rather than reading it on like eight and a half by 11 loose leaf. Yeah. But this was definitely where like having a print background came in handy because I could like I knew like how to do bleeds and how to set files up and knew all the nitty gritty. And so that can be a little hard if you don't necessarily have a print background. But I think it's pretty learnable. Yeah. Can we actually start there about your background just as a designer in general? Yeah, so I like to tell people I was like raised Swiss <laughs> in terms of design. Okay. Um, so I went to Carnegie Mellon for a design school. Okay. And they do a pretty like traditional like Helvetica um, using only one typeface for a poster and you can only change the size to show hierarchy mm. and kind of really breaking you down into like we like didn't. So the first year we basically didn't touch a computer, which was kind of fun. And that was still when like industrial design and communication design were in a class together then the second year I don't think I used color to like the second semester (laughs) so it's like all just black and white just learning type it's like really intense like type only posters maybe you could add like one graphic element and so it was like pretty rigorous in that sense and yeah I remember this moment when James Victoria came to visit and he kind of like gave us this like talk and he was like super rebellious you know James Victoria yeah yeah, he's amazing, but he was just like, oh, like, you know, you should be reading poetry, like, write everything down, and just, was just and I just remember when he left, everyone just, like, rebelled after, like, all this, like, only using one color, and, like, rules, 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 and then, like, James Victoria came in and was like, no, like, fuck the rules, so it was kind of amazing. Cool. And yeah. then what? And then I left school, there was a recession, so that was fun and good times all around (laughs) yeah I ended up moving here and I got a job at a digital agency called code and theory they do some awesome work Mm. yeah 
Yeah, Code and Theory is fantastic. Yeah, they're really good. Uh, so I learned a lot there. How did you land that? I didn't know you were there. That's amazing. Yeah, long ago. <laughs> How did you land that connection? Um, I basically just was calling people at this point and no one wanted to hire because everyone was like firing people and like horrible stories about like laying off whole teams. And I just called them and they're like, yeah, like if you come to San Francisco ever, like let's have an interview. And so I got out there. I was like, hello. <laughs> So Did was, you fly out for just for that interview? Yeah, I actually flew out without a job. And I was like, I guess if all else fails, I'll just try to be a barista, even though I probably won't be very good <laughs> at that job because I have a horrible memory. Oh but my gosh. yeah, I was kind of just like, you know, well, the worst that can happen is I fly out here for a while. I don't find a job and then I have to like go live with my parents again. And so I was like, it's not going to kill me. So try it out. And then I came and they were like, oh, OK, yeah, like cool, you can start working here now. And so I was like, okay, so that was my first job. It's like an internship there. I think you make it sound a lot easier than it probably was. Oh, there's a lot of just denialism, I think, where, you know, I think you kind of have to trick yourself. I get like scared all the time. So I think that's why it wasn't that scary for me because I'm like always anxious. I have these like weird things <laughs> where I'm That's my secret like... is I'm scared all <laughs> the true, time. It's true, actually. It's like, I don't it's, know. It's like the Hulk, but <laughs> <laughs> just terrified. I don't know. Like, that's a trick. I'm always angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like walking down the street and I'm like holding my phone and there'll be like a great Ash like, smash. 40. Yeah, that's, yeah. Ash. You discovered my Was it a Hulk great. joke? Seriously? No. <laughs> it just rhymed. It's very hard to say though. Actually, Ash people mash. will be like, Miss Ash Smash. Mash. I know that's not your real name, but. <laughs> Ash Smash. Ash Smash. Anyways, you're walking around. Holding oh yeah, your phone. and like you'll see like a grate like 20 feet away, and I'm like I'm gonna drop my <laughs> phone, and it's gonna bounce into the grate, uh-huh. and just like perfectly fit through the slots and be lost. Like this sounds like crippling anxiety. It is kind of. How do you um, deal with it? I think it's just it's like I've just learned to just be like that could happen, but it won't. <laughs> I've got so, a pretty good grip on this. Yeah, I was like, just put it back in your pocket. It's gonna be fine. And so I, I don't know. I kind of developed this system where you know you like feel the fear, and you're like, okay, the fear is real, even if the situation is like bonkers, like an air conditioner is not gonna fall on you as you're walking, etc. It could. It could. That's the thing. <laughs> All these situations, like they have happened before. Like those, like you know, those like springy doors next to restaurants. That you like walk on, they like spring a little bit, and like you're always afraid they'll like fall Springy open. doors? Yeah, it's on the sidewalk. Those like corners. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. They like go down into the <laughs> basement. Yeah. yeah, the diamond plate. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I'm always like, oh, like, you know, someone has gone through one of these. I just don't know who. <laughs> I'm actually kind of scared. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, I think it's just like being conscious of all that happening. It's just like you're scared of it, but then. You just have to keep living. So. I used to always think about that stuff. Yeah. I, like that's such a weird concept to me because if you think about like what the chances are of that happening, they're so like microscopic. That oh, yeah. Why do people even consider this? Oh, I know. I think it's just like an overactive imagination thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I could totally see or, that. Or you watched all the Final Destination movies. <laughs> I've never done that. <laughs> you haven't watched those? No. Have you, Ash? I've watched the first one. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Devin like, Sawa's greatest hit. <laughs> People always give me crap for like driving close behind like trucks with like logs or whatever. Oh yeah. Oh, that is. I a will major never, fear. never no. do that ever. <laughs> God, it's a bad way to go. <laughs> that was Final Destination Two. Oh. Spoilers. Uh, the intro is terrifying. If you ever drive a car, don't watch it because you will not want to drive a car again. Uh, okay, we got off track. So you, okay. you're in San Francisco. 
Yes. You have your first job out here. Yes. I had my first job and yeah, there's this point where I kind of, I've always been curious about being independent, I think even in school. And so it was always this kind of like weird itchy thing that I wanted to do. And so I, by be independent, you mean like in a work sense? Freelance. Yeah. Yeah. So not be tied to a company. And so not tied to the man. Yeah. The man. And so, um, I just tried my luck. I was like, I'll just do this for a couple months and like look for another job. But like, you know, you only live once. I'm like used to living off of ramen still from college. So I don't have to make that much money. And this was back when you could actually like afford San Francisco, which is like the, I don't think I could do it now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even then. Oh gosh. And so I tried it out. And the weird thing was that, you know, I didn't really know anybody, but I was getting like a little bit of work. And so that was fun. And then I actually ended up talking to Mark Otto, who was mm-hmm. at Twitter at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And Love Mark. yeah, I, we ended up hitting it off and like he toured me around the office and I was like, wow, Twitter, like that's awesome. And I met the team and I kind of got like what I really was attracted to with Twitter is they kind of had this very do-gooder ethos. What do you mean? So it was, it was very much like they sincerely believed that what they were doing was valuable and like helpful for the world and like, you know, they were like helping spark revolutions and all these things. And I think they say that a lot less publicly now, but um, they concentrate a lot on like media and like what's happening now. But at the time, I think there was this really, uh, this was 2000, I want to say 12. Yeah. It's a little while ago. But yeah, like, I don't know. And I met the team and everyone was really just like very, very into the mission And I think that was kind of a unique experience for me, especially having done agency work before to just be so committed to a cause and have like a unified team that was kind of like fighting for the same thing. So that was really attractive. And so I started working there doing brand stuff, which was fun, made some crazy pillows and calling cards. And uh, we did this site called Twitter Stories, which was all about stories at Twitter that were like not like Lady Gaga. So things like there was this fisherman who was in Japan and he would tweet what he had caught that day. And then by the time he got back to shore, like all his catch would be spoken for. And so just like stories like that, which are just like people using Twitter in like weird, unexpected, awesome ways. They're the most unique case studies. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I don't know how people thought of that. Like, yeah, that's cool. Because <laughs> how do you find a fisherman who's just tweeting about fish? Oh, I know. Yeah, there's just like a funny network effect. And there's always like weird, like micro groups of people. There's one that's like a food community. I think it's called like Food 52. And you can like tweet at them if you're like messing up your meal and be like, help me. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. And people will like be on there and like help you. What? Yeah. I don't know how active they still are. But at the time, that was like a big thing that was on there. Interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of like under undergrowth in Twitter. You can kind of find almost anything on there now. And it's just like very interesting to like dive into those worlds. I feel like my Twitter experience is so isolated and compact and nice and tidy with just like tech and design i'm like missing a lot yeah it's pretty fun to seek out the other stuff even if you don't follow it just to like poke around i'll mm-hmm. occasionally like click on the hashtags especially if they're like really ridiculous oh mm-hmm. god and it's totally. like kind of fun <laughs> you see what <laughs> what the rest of the world's actually talking about oh yeah yeah okay so you were doing brand design at twitter yes and then i kind of so my really good friend justin edmund was at pinterest and he kept being like, oh, you're like, come on over, come on over. And I was like, oh, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. And then 
there was a point where I felt like I was ready. So what was that point? Or I don't what? know. I I just found myself. I would be like up late at night on Pinterest, just like scrolling and scrolling, and I would just be like, oh no, I need to go to bed to go back to work tomorrow. Um, and so it was this very like active, tempting thing where I just like really loved the product. I resonated with the audience a lot, and I thought the content was really great. And it, like my friends worked there, so it was like that's a, nice a pretty fit. good yeah like formula 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 yeah yeah and the team was like super small when i got there i think it was like 30 something people and so it was like really really intimate the team was like really tight-knit and so that was really fun yeah so i did that and then you started as a brand designer i did yeah and i did some like events and other things um did a lot of illustration partway through though i started to get like frustrated because there's this kind of thing where i was doing all this brand work but then it seemed like you know, once you had someone in there, you're like, okay, like, goodbye. Like, see you never. You are the product designer's problem now, which I just like never felt right to me. Mm -hmm. And so I became interested in product design, just like learning as much as I could to figure out like how the two sat together. Cause it felt to me kind of like they were the same thing in some way or that like brand, it has to extend into product. Otherwise it's an incomplete experience, especially for users who are already on this site. Can you give an example? Um, so one thing that's really important is things like empty states, which are like definite need of being a branded moment. And a lot of the time it either ends up being like, oh, like, shoot, we need an illustration for this or something. But there's a lot of opportunity there to be like, oh, like, you know, how do we write this so it feels like the same brand? And like, what would our brand personally do in this situation? So is it like a mix of copywriting as well? Like yeah, content I think strategy. there's some of that too. Okay. And another good example is growth stuff. So new user experience is like a big brand problem, uh, especially at like a company like Pinterest. The thing interesting thing about Pinterest was when I got there soon after they eliminated their invite only system. So before that, you had to be invited to join, uh, which was great because if you invite someone, usually you're invested in them being on the platform so if they have questions they can go to you but when you're just like oh i saw some commercial somewhere or like an ad and like i was like what is this thing and you like click on it like there's so much less info and no one's there to help you and that's like a really serious problem and so i think brand comes into play there where you're like like you probably have these preconceptions but like let me tell you actually what this thing is got it yeah it was the surprising thing is like we ran some tests and we like the delivery method was not complex. It was just like some slides and we found we could really lift how many people stayed just by like putting the right slides in front of them when they joined. Like those annoying things you like swipe through on your phone. Mm-hmm. And that was, I was like shocking to me. I was like, Oh, like, wait, uh, can you dig more into this? Because I'm so amazed by that design pattern. I have no idea how, became so common yeah because when you're interacting with it, you're like oh god like another one of these things I was right like, skip it you know i skip every single one of oh them yeah I so i was 66 like, percent totally of our surprised. users at sidewire do not skip and we have a skip button placed prominently on the first page really yep yeah so we're a minority if we skip it yeah because i think people also aren't downloading apps at the rate that we're downloading them because we're like ooh, a piece of candy ooh, a piece of candy <laughs> and so <laughs> like someone else is like what is this thing either mm-hmm. somebody recommended to them or they're like just like rolling around looking for an app or something so they're in like i feel like they're in a different mindset 
they're in like a digging mode. They want to absorb information. Yeah. They're not trying to get to something fast. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like a lot of us also come to apps with context because they'll be like, oh, you got to get this new app. It has this like new interaction that we like. And it's like, oh, okay. And like, what is it? And it's like, oh, okay. It's like, like Tinder for dogs. And you're like, okay, okay. Got it. Um, but other people are like, I don't know what this is. I don't know why I have this. Mm, like, yeah. let me figure it out. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to tell me. Mm-hmm. And so there's this expectation of like, what are you? And so you guys found huge lift by just adjusting those walkthrough slides. Yeah. And so it's pretty interesting because I, I recommend to a lot of people now that if they want to experiment with how their story is playing out, that just to like do a simple test like that and just see, like to change the story a little bit and like explain their product in a different way and just like see what happens, if that makes a difference. Do you remember any specifics that stood out that seemed to work really well? Um, we tried one. I remember that was really story based. It was like, so-and-so went down to this and did that and then that, um, which still got a little bit of a lift, but it wasn't as drastic as, you know, there was a certain one that, um, explained the product in a pretty like linear way, but still it had a story. It wasn't like discrete objects. We had one that was like, this is what this is. This is that. And that's that. But this kind of was more purpose-based where it was like, this app is mainly for like, for example, it's like this This app is mainly for like discovering stuff. And so like this is how these things support that. And so, yeah, I think it's different for every company. But Did it take long to reach statistical certainty? Yeah, I think it was like a couple, like a week or two of running the test. And like it was okay. just so drastic that we were just like, okay, like turn that on for now. And then we'll like figure the next step out. So was it one thing at a time or was it a bunch of options at a time? Uh, we tested, I think, five variants. Okay. Yeah. And then just kind of like picked the one that was performing the best and then just like shipped that out to everybody. Interesting. As a holdover. That's something I'm always questioning is if I do a bunch of variants for a test, is will I put less effort into them than if I was going to do one and try that and then try another one and then try that and then like iterate mm-hmm. slowly versus all at once? Yeah. Five was a lot. That was like really intense because I was doing all the illustrations too. And so it was like, ah. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I think having the like, it was kind of just like almost, it was almost like a sketch of a new user experience. So it was just like, pick some narratives and try them. And so how long was it until you started shifting the way you worked over more towards product thinking? Um, I think that was kind of the big project that started me doing a lot of product work. Mm -hmm. Because there was just a lot of interesting brand problems and product that I felt like were like kind of new territory, which was interesting to me. And so now I've kind of gone back so that I'm doing a lot more of like traditional brand stuff where I'm like picking typefaces or like drawing logos or like, what's your illustration style? But I also am able to like be like, okay, now let's like make a new user experience for you. Right, right. So um, I'm more balanced now, I think. You were at Pinterest for two years? I was there for two years. And now you're independent once again. I am. What's the transition been like? How's it going? It's been really good. I, I always knew I kind of wanted to work for myself. Right. And so it's kind of been that like the end of the line dream. And I think there's like something scary in being like, nope, it's time. It's like time to go do that now. Because I think there's this fear for me that it wouldn't make me happy. And then it would be like, well, now what? You know? Um, but I also had this kind of realization that if I didn't start doing it now, I would be, pro- it's basically like procrastinating in some way so it's like if you don't start now like in five years you'll be where you were like five years ago if you had started now so I was like okay (laughs) it almost sounds like your decision to go to Pinterest was like 
a form of procrastination. And then the decision to leave was a form of procrastination. Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting because Pinterest was like, when, by the time I left, it was like 200 something people, which I was like not expecting. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I the thing I really like about being independent is that, I don't know, I guess it all comes down to kind of this rebellion where like I can do all these like different kinds of things. I can just like disappear and go to a museum and like come back with like a lot of fresh ideas in the middle of the day and fewer people are like oh like I need you in this meeting or so on which has been nice but also the variety has been really helpful in that like I'll be working on my book and like think of something that helps like some client project or vice versa and so it feels like very fertile which is nice cool uh we had an interesting discussion last week about inspiration oh yeah Bryn's maybe more skeptical. Skeptical. The word. I, d- I don't think of things in terms of inspiration. I'm, I'm interested in where you're going with this. I'm curious your thoughts on inspiration because you said, you know, you can go to a, a museum and come back with ideas. Like, where do you get inspiration mm-hmm. from? Is it is it off screen, out in nature? Like, how do you how do you even think about inspiration? Is this a thing for you? For reference, the conversation we had was about, um, like, going out in nature or wherever and finding something completely unrelated to any given problem and using that to go solve a problem later mm-hmm. whereas i'm like okay i have this exact problem i'm going to search out a solution right now so it's a little bit more pragmatic and i think of it more as a research than inspiration mm-hmm. it's funny because i think i'm kind of in the middle there where i think i'm a hoarder like i i'm seeking out a lot of new experiences a lot of time and i kind of just like put it in like a little box and like file it away somewhere um, I think that's why I liked Pinterest so much because you can just like literally <laughs> hoard stuff yeah. online and they're just always there for you and you can like search and like find that thing you were hoarding. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of it for me is making connections between things that weren't necessarily easy to connect. Mm-hmm. And so for me that it's like you just have to have a lot of fuel to be able to do that. So um, yeah, like I'm trying to think of like a good example of something I did recently that was similar. Um I worked on some illustrations for uh, Sequoia Capital, and the concept was it was for an event called Sightlines. And I had been thinking about these books that I had seen a while ago, which is these like gorgeous, like geometric drawings. And that kind of we like we tried some other stuff, but I kind of started thinking about kind of like these mathematical equations and like, you know, how like sightlines are kind of angles and if you put all these angles together they start to like create something more meaningful and so it was like stuff that I had been seeing like ages and ages ago and just like were on my shelf Hmm. and so the inspiration was not immediate I think immediate inspiration is a lot harder Um, but I think it's just like you just have to have for me I just have this like library in my brain that I pull from and I'm like oh this is like a good metaphor for that or like oh I'm really into knitting right now and like let's make this like poster like a cozy sweater and so um, that's been my thing. And I think going out into nature for me, I try to go into nature a lot, but it's more like defragging the computer and like condensing everything back down and just like digesting and less so for inspiration. We just spent a week on vacation basically. And that's that's a lot of how I thought about it. I didn't think it about was it as like, I'm, I'm it was going out to like look at things. It was more like, I'm just going to sit here and decompress. Like, yeah. I think that's take a, a minute. I think that's an important part of any oh, designer's yeah. workflow is getting off the freaking computer for an hour a day at least and just like thinking about nothing i disagree really i like to binge and then purge (laughs) (laughs) at some point along the way you started writing essays 
I did. Um, the way I started really writing was I came up with this like cockamamide idea to do this, this series. Cockamamide, because I'm like 80 years old. Cockamamide? Um, <laughs> have you heard that before? Cockamamie. Never cock-a-mamied. heard that word. Yeah. I mean, it's my grandma like, says it a lot. Dictionary definition in the show notes. Okay. It's actually like an 80 year old phrase to say. Got it. I have a lot of those. Um, I had this idea that basically I would write an essay for every letter of the alphabet. And I was like, ah, how long could this take? It took me a couple of years. By the time 26 I was like, years. <laughs> 26 years. <laughs> About. <laughs> yeah. I'm on letter C. Um, <laughs> so I started with A and I was just like, oh, I'll just start like writing. And I wrote, I didn't really know what I would write about. I would just like use the structure kind of like as a way to like inspire myself to do stuff. And so it's funny because the first few essays are like really short and they're really weird. Like they're just like, there's no like really unifying theme or like voice. And so I think the first one I wrote was about how the, there's a sign in Astor Place in New York when you get off the six and the um, sign itself, instead of an O, someone put a zero and it just drives me crazy. Every, every time I passed it, it would just drive me nuts. And so it was just, I just like wrote about that. Okay. It's like, it like a random little moment. And then I think the second one I wrote about like Barbie and how like there's like weirdness about Barbie and like. This is like the ideal. And Barbies are like very a weird, weird, weird thing. They are weird. Yeah. And so they just like, they were just like random thoughts I had, I think at first. And then I started being a lot more intentional with them as I started writing them. And it's funny because I feel like in the space of doing this like one thing where all I was doing was writing essays around an alphabet. Like I was like, I just got like tremendously better just by doing it. So that's kind of how I got started writing essays. What, what have you been writing about recently? What have I been writing recently? I just wrote recently about being in tech as a woman, which is funny. I wrote an answer about this actually four years ago. And sometimes I'll go back and read like read old stuff just to like see what I used to be like. It's good though. Like I think it's important to go back and look at your old stuff just to be like, oh, okay, like I'm so much better now. I'm like, I can sleep at night. (laughs) Yes, I've grown up. Yeah. yeah. Which is like really great. Um, But I just read it and I was just like, whoa. First of all, I was like, my Quora byline was like, you can call me bro, it's okay. And I was like, girl, no. I was like, what is this? And um, yeah, the whole thing is just like really like disorganized. And you can tell it was just like, even it was just like four years ago, but I felt like I was so much younger. And so I just wanted to revisit it. And it gave me this like really like cringing feeling of embarrassment. And I was like, oh, like that's like a strong emotion. There's like probably something here. And so I just wrote about like on all it is is basically like bullet points of like all the stuff that's happened being a woman in tech. And I just had um, I like welcomed other women to highlight that paragraph was like all those highlights. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. It's like it was like 100 percent saturation in like a couple hours. And I was like, oh, OK, like this is good because any woman who comes to this will be like, oh, it's not just her and it's not just me. And um, kind of the twist for it for me, which was a really important turning point during writing this essay was that after I did all these like crazy experiences I started kind of listing off things that people individually are helping with and Mr. Rogers has this quote about looking for the helpers when there's some kind of like disaster or something going on whenever you see something bad in the news and I'm really trying to be like Liz Gilbert has this phrase of being like stubbornly optimistic or like stubbornly glad and so I, tr- I just try to like, I was like, if you can just focus on these like individuals who are making things better, like it feels less terrible. 
and there is this like realism that it is getting better and like people there are just like all these like helpful people that are who are some of the people and what are they doing so a bunch of people that i have in there um one recent i don't know if you saw the whole t-shirt debacle on designer news yeah they only had men's sizes oh yeah and so classic designer news move (laughs) (laughs) and so um at some point i think dan eden came on and was like oh like instead of paying 30 bucks for a shirt that you're not just going to sit in your closet or get thrown away like why don't you give 30 dollars to girls who code or something like that and then just like all these responses like it just became this like crazy debate and I just remember I just like looked at it I like scrolled a couple scrolls and I was like nope not today (laughs) I just like closed out um so I mean like Dan the fact that he would do that is like great um I think who else yeah there's a whole bunch my friend Maria he wouldn't wear those t-shirts anyway they're not from Everlane Dan looks so freaking dapper. He does. He's really dapper. He's he a dapper he's Dan. A lovely he, is a, he is the dapper Dan. That's true. He is the dapper Dan. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So there's just a lot of examples there. Like my friend Maria is like, she's really into coaching women and helping them find their creativity, especially a lot of her clients feel really burned out or um don't feel like they can be creative and more it's just she helps with them so there's just like a lot of people there's like a whole list in the essay of other people who are doing stuff um so you you're writing some of these articles can you share a little bit about like what it takes to write those and put it out there because Brynn and i have encountered a lot of people that don't want to talk about women in tech being women in tech. being women in tech they don't want to talk about it yeah i think I think for a long time, I kind of had this fear that people would, if I called attention to it, people would notice it suddenly and be like, oh, like, wait, you're a woman person, is it? (laughs) Don't joke. I've had people say in interviews, they're like, oh, like, I thought you were a man, like from your work. What? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like multiple times. They just didn't look at your Twitter. Yeah. Well, now I'm very obvious about. And there was a time where I was like, oh, shoot, maybe I should like take my photo off of all my things. So like people don't notice. I mean, it was like to that extent because I did not want the conversation at all to be about being a woman. Like I didn't want to have this idea of like getting a free ride or anything like that. But I think that as much as you deny it, there is this point where you just realize that even if you pretend it's not happening, it could still be happening. And so just like being aware of the problem and just kind of embracing that mantle could help someone versus just pretending it's not there. Because I I think I had wished when I was younger that there was at least somebody who was talking about it. So I would at least have some awareness versus just like being like, this thing's happening to me and I don't know what's going on. And like, I don't know what the signs are. I don't know what's going on. So I'm hoping that this is like my way of kind of time travel where I'm like reaching back and trying to help by talking about it could you share or would you be comfortable sharing like some of the things that you're seeing happening right now and experiencing and kind of how you see it getting better hopefully one of the, my favorite activities actually is i love to go on conference sites and um i look at the lineup and usually they're like pretty diverse now i do that too we've made so much it's noise one of my favorite games yeah but do you go back in time yeah yeah, that's the best. You go back to like 2011 and just like the panel looks completely The past different. events pages are oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, like you'll look at the panel. Slash the worst. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like all the same person. And you're like, oh. You're they like, really like that archetype. Yeah. And of course, it's like 2011. So all the and they all look like different. Brian. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? 
<laughs> tall, white, curly-haired male. Yeah, so that's like kind of a game I play. And I think that it's gotten better so quickly and that like making all the noise actually works. And so, I don't know. I think it's nice that we've been talking about even though like discussions get heated and people get angry and like things happen. But I think the People get angry on the internet? No way. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't, I wish there was like some like farm where you could just go and be like, no one's angry here and just like frolic. And, but there would be no content. It would just be like nothing because everything makes everyone angry. (laughs) You're just a baby goat because no one can be mad at a baby goat. (laughs) I know. I'm sure somebody would be mad though. At a baby goat? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm thinking of fainting goats, which I don't know if you've seen those, but they're adorable. But people get upset because people scare them on camera and they just like go stiff and fall over. And so we were like, don't scare the baby goats. And it's just like, oh, God, nothing is is good. (laughs) Nothing is sacred. (laughs) Yeah, I'm noticing this pattern with you where it's like you're scared of doing this thing, but then you do it and like on and on. So coming to SF and then Pinterest, yep. uh, leaving, going independent, the book, like what what are you scared of now? Um, scared of in like a bold, optimistic way. What am I scared of now? It's funny because I feel like I just like let out this like big breath mm-hmm. after like doing a bunch of things. Um yeah, I think the next thing I want to tackle, I feel like in design, I'm pretty prolific, but I have this fear. This is partially why I'm doing a lot of like shorter stories now is I have this fear that I can't be prolific writing in terms of fiction. I think with essays, it's like very comfortable, but I, I, I still have this fear with writing that I'm just going to like run out, which is just like not going to happen, but it's still like in the back of my head somewhere. And I like don't know where that's coming from. Where do you draw these stories from? So some of my stories are dreams. There's a ghost story I want to write that takes place in San Francisco that's about the recession. So I'm working on that. That one's been giving me difficulty. I'm writing a sci-fi about zombies right now. Cool. <laughs> and before that, I was writing like a prehistoric kind of like when people still lived in tribe villages type thing. And so I've been trying a lot, but they've been pretty hard to finish. I haven't been able to like finish many. And I'm like, I think it's because it's like the fire steals still very much an active thing since it's like just come out and so it's been like harder for me to let go and like find something that has the same fervor and that's kind of why I've been doing shorter things that are like 50 pages there's just like easier to write and read that still seems like a lot to me yeah Uh, it's interesting that you said you were like worried about running out of I guess ideas or, or resources or like energy yeah when I think it comes it's to writing all of those and I think I had that with design also yeah I was gonna ask if you had that with design yeah because even like when I'm working on client projects I mean I think there is sometimes whether it used to be I think I have it a lot less now but I used to have this kind of thing where it was like the next project I'm just gonna like not know what to do it's just gonna be like over I'm gonna be like done you know um and then I'll just have to like rely on like scientific design I don't know I can relate to that how do you get over that I don't know I think it takes time I think we want to like rush things and so I've just been trying to be really patient with myself I mean I'm working on this project now that I was like okay like you know chugging along doing my mood boards whatever but then I went to Heath and I suddenly was just like while I was standing there I was like oh I totally know how we could do this. And it was just like, I just like made this like connection where I was like, oh, like we want a feeling of like togetherness. And so like this will get solved this way. What's Heath? Uh, Heath. Oh, you haven't been to Heath? Heath Ceramics? 
It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. No, what is it? So it's this factory that started in Sausalito. They do ceramics. Okay. And they're just like beautiful, but they have one in the mission and it's attached to a blue bottle. So you can like caffeinate and spend all your money. <laughs> they, of course uh, it has a blue bottle. Oh yeah. They make all the like dishes for like four barrel and sight glass and... Oh, sweet. Yeah, they're really nice. You should check uh, them out. That samovar that has like the really dope white mugs. Oh, mm-hmm. So cool. They feel great. Awesome. But be prepared, like leave your wallet at home or something because it's bad news. Yeah, they are <laughs> expensive, but they're truly gorgeous. They're amazing. But the Sausalito one Irondi's has... there all the time. That <laughs> asshole. Uh, the Sausalito factory has like seconds and thirds that are like lower. They have like a thumbprint in the glaze or something and they're like crazy marked down. And also it's in Sausalito, so it's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I was visiting there and it was just like suddenly I had like it was like, oh, OK. And so I'm trying to learn to trust the process more. And my process, I don't mean like I do this and this happens and that and that and that where it's just like, you know, I kind of know it's almost like phases where I'm like, OK, this project's I'm like really jazzed and I always do. It. And then like you get into like the ugly phase where everything just looks horrible because you're like working through everything. And it's all like Frankenstein together. Right. And then you go to the streamlining phase. So it's just like. Now I feel like I know the process and I think that just speaks to my inexperience with writing books where I just like don't necessarily know yet if it's the same as the design process. It's very similar, but I'm kind of just like figuring that out still. I experienced a pretty similar thing like my first week of of Facebook. I was like, I forgot everything (laughs) I know about design. Like I don't know anything anymore. It's because you were working in the exact opposite situation. But yeah, you but, went from a team of like one and eventually two to a team of how many? How many? 200 plus. I don't know. Yeah. But my team's really small. But I, I just remember this like fear like, oh shit, I don't remember anything. Like everything I've done in the past is gone. It's like when people like watch you over your computer, like over your shoulder while you're typing. Yeah. <laughs> it breaks everything. You're like, oh, my, my brain's gone. <laughs> my brain just dropped. <laughs> Fell out of my body. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's pretty relatable and you just keep going right like just trust in the process like trust in your experience yeah yeah and I think again with like the stubbornness and the optimism I'm like it's gonna be fine like I think the minute for me the minute where I'm like oh no it's not gonna work out you just become this like self-fulfilling spiral of like terror where you're just like and then this happened and this is the worst thing that can happen versus if you're like it's gonna somehow work out and be fine and like it's going to be great. Like even when it looks horrible, like there, you know, there's phases I look at this. I'm like, Nope, this isn't it yet. I relate a ton to the stubborn optimist idea. I think Bryn would agree with me on this. Persistently optimistic. It's not persistence for you. You don't work in any other way. You, you can't (laughs) be, you're a nice young boy. (laughs) Was there ever a time where you weren't optimistic? I think so. I think when I first started making stuff when I was like a teenager, there was kind of a phase. Um, And then, I don't know. I think when I was a teenager, it was all about like wanting to get better. But I was kind of like, I just couldn't see this future yet where I was better. And so I would just keep going at it. But it would be disheartening at times because you just see like, what does the Ira Glass has that thing that's like the gap where you're just like, wow, like I made this like pile of mud. And there's this person like over there, like Da Vinciing it up. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing? Like, but look at my little pile of mud. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah. I mean, it's again with like the like. There's just some stuff you have to like block out, or you like psych yourself up. I think it is a lot like you know, 
learning to run fast or like play a sport even though i'm like really not athletically inclined it's like learning to play the sports that i don't know how to play sports ball with a thing <laughs> scoring the points let's root for the blue ones <laughs> exactly well we are done is there anything you want to plug before we go um if you are thinking of going on a road trip i made a road tripping gear guide and it has like photos from the road that's wildwomanroadtrip.com <laughs> awesome link in the show notes and of course your book and of course my book the fire steel the fire steel available on amazon it is available on amazon and you can also buy it directly from me is it better to buy it directly from you um, for you if you want a signed copy with bookmarks it's better to get it from me because amazon does not have that but if you like your prime shipping but do you get do you get you. paid more if we buy it directly from you like, yes okay but i have to ship it <laughs> <laughs> you can't win it all i know i know this is the problem with physical things <laughs> i know awesome okay. Ugh, real world <laughs> gross that's why we just look at our screens all day well thank you so much for taking the time to come up and chat very much appreciated thanks for having me it's been fun cool thanks ash <laughs> thank you for listening to episode 70 as always, we super appreciate it. Ash was an incredible guest. Also incredible, our two sponsors for this episode. First up, Dropbox. As always, they're an incredible syncing tool. Help you stay in touch. They'll help this episode get from here, where we're recording it at Brian's apartment, to my house, where Sarah will be editing it and mastering it and shipping it out to you. It's responsible for more stuff than you even know. We use it for all of our design work. We use it for all of our stuff at spec. We use it for collaboration across the board it really is the best way to handle it we're so grateful to dropbox for helping us make this show a reality week after week thank you once again to dropbox go check them out at dropbox.com our second sponsor as usual icon finder it's the largest source of premium icons on the web perfect for any design project you might be working on there's over 640,000 icons in their library they come in all different kinds styles shapes formats it's going to work in any software you're using whether that's sketch Photoshop or Illustrator. You can add your team members and collaborate with your team. And they have a service called Icon Finder Pro, which gives you bundled access to these icons. Sign up, use the promo code Design Details, and that'll tell them that we sent you and give you 50% off your first month. Huge thanks once again to Icon Finder. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Wednesday. Do you guys remember having like shatterproof like school equipment as a kid? No. Like beakers like, and stuff? Like the rulers and like pencil cases and whatever they'd say shatterproof on them. I thought that meant they couldn't break. <laughs> so I Did just, you experiment? <laughs> <laughs> Did you gravity test these? I would just like try and destroy them. I'd be like, they can't break. It's no big deal. <laughs> what was the I think goal? I just, I don't know. I thought it was really fun to try and smash stuff. Sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. It sounds pretty normal. I was just really weak, so I thought it was real. <laughs> Turns out it's true. Brynn could not break a dang thing, even a ruler. True-ish. <laughs> True-ish. <laughs>